Hi, I'm Ray from Insert Quest here. My pronouns today are they, them. Uh, with us today is uh, Whitney Delaglio. I hope I'm pronouncing your last name correctly. Uh, who is here to talk about her new RPG, Prism, which is up on Kickstarter. Thank you for being with us today, Whitney. Did I pronounce your last name correctly? Um, Delaglio, yeah. I was close. I was close. Uh, and what are your pronouns? Uh, my pronouns are she, her. She, her. Wonderful. Uh, well, as I said, thank you for being on. Um, we normally like to start our show by asking our uh, subjects, which would be you in this instance, uh, where our listeners might know them from um, or, or what, uh, what you have done uh, in the past, uh, either as a designer or just uh, in general. Uh, so is there anything that people might know you from? Uh, they might know me of my gaming rambles on Google+. They might know of my business rambles on Twitter. They might know me from Double Exposure Cons. Or they might know me by someone else talking about some gaming person with fluffy hair. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, I'd never heard of that con you just mentioned, actually. What was that one? Double Exposure Cons, the best cons in the universe. That's not their actual jingle. I just made that up. Um, <laughs> it's a set of three cons. Um, one in February, one in the summer, and one in the fall. Um, Dreamation, which is um, kind of like an indie gaming convention, which is super awesome and super tiny and cute and adorable and in a hotel. Uh, there's DexCon, which I find to be the like if you want to go to Gen Con but you don't want to drown in people, and uh, which might be incorrect. Sorry if I inf offend anybody in my description of DexCon. And Metatopia, which is a playtesting convention, and my favorite because there's lots of cuddling and elbow rubbing and fun times to be had. <laughs> Wonderful, fantastic. Well, um, we today we're going to be talking about your new uh, Kickstarter project, um, Prism. But before we get to that, we normally like to ask people uh, how they first got into role-playing games, if it's a role-playing game designer like yourself. Um, and then we normally transition into asking them how they moved from player into design. So why don't we start there with how did you first get interested in role-playing games? Um, well, I've already, oh, excuse me, I've always been interested in playing role-playing games, but I didn't have any friends um, until after graduation of college that played D&D. Like, I, I knew people, I, like, there were acquaintances that played um, Dungeons & Dragons, but I didn't know them well, so I'd be like, hey, can I roll a D22? So um, I got together with my local gaming group, and we played 3.5 for a while, and then... Um, I got introduced to Google Plus, which uh, has a more uh, mixed OSR slash indie gaming community and learned about other um, games like Lady Blackbird and stuff that's powered by the apocalypse and et cetera, et cetera. And I found that I like those games a lot more. <laughs> uh, that tends to have been my experience as well. <laughs> um Cool. And then how did you move from playing role-playing games to designing them? Like, when did you realize you wanted to try and make a role-playing game? Well, I had an idea for a story slash 
comic slash game for a while, but I didn't really know what to do with it. And it was suggested to me to maybe make it into a, a tabletop role-playing game. And I was like, sure, how hard could that be? And uh, that I would learn to regret those words. <laughs> but um, so um, my quest to become a... my my, my because part of the reason why I became a player is just to learn more about um, tabletop gaming. Because um, my experience was slim at first, and I gradually got um, more and more games under my belt. And then, um, as I became more experienced, I started the designing aspect of making my idea into a full-fledged game you can play with other people. Yeah, cool, cool. Um, did you? Did you? Was there any uh, interim design before you got to? Uh, before you got into making your game, by which I mean, I know that some people have, some people have made like custom character classes for games before they've moved into making a game. Some people made custom rules. Um, I know one person that made choose your own adventure games before they made a role-playing game uh, or did you just sort of go pretty much straight from playing into i'm gonna make this game <laughs> um i know i made a lot of pitches for games back when i was more of a video gamer platformer gamer whichever term was more accurate mm-hmm. um but i was more interested in making like characters so i made a lot of characters and like and, th- and this is their backstory this is their backstory and this is their backstory so i guess that kind of inspired me to make a character based game in the long run but mm-hmm. that was my experience up until becoming a designer yeah excellent excellent um so what uh what kind of things have you had you de- have you designed games before you started work on prism or is prism your first game um i haven't finished anything other than prism the other games i just work on for fun like i had a um, a smile and take a selfie game that I just do for fun when I'm out on, on adventures and I had a um, lady back blackbird hack that I was working on but that was just again just for fun this is just the thing I'm actually working on for serious mm-hmm. um, and my artwork is in some games that aren't done yet and will hopefully be done in the near future with a question <laughs> oh you're a, you're an artist as well yeah what kind of art do you do uh, mostly characters and um, not photo accurate animals. <laughs> um, you can find my artwork in the the Kickstarter because um, I did the artwork for the game. Uh, most of the artwork for the game, and a friend of mine did the um, other section of the artwork. Well, wonderful. That's I would love to talk to you about your artwork a little bit later on, but I think we might move into the. M- core of our interview now and talk about your new project uh prism uh so um to begin with why don't you tell us a short pitch about what prism is and then i'll ask you some probing questions to tease out more information from you uh well the standard elevator pitch is prism is a aquatic role-playing game about relationships and conflict resolution Cool. So when you say an aquatic role-playing game, what does that mean? It means that a majority of the uh, world is underwater and half of the um, people you could be potentially be in the game are aquatic in nature. So they're like humanoid whales, humanoid cuttlefish, humanoid sharks. That 
is not what I was expecting, but is excellent. I was actually, my, when I saw Aquatic uh, role-playing game in the email that you sent me, I actually thought for the f- at first, hang on a minute, is this a role-playing game you have to play in or n- around water? <laughs> that would be the best LARP ever. <laughs> <laughs> Look, maybe I will write a hack of Prism. Um, uh, so... Uh, what is the what is the core activity of Prism? What uh, what's the things that players are doing? Um, the core thing they uh, are doing is solving narrative con- uh, conflicts, seizing their skills, but also while juggling relationships. Okay, that's pretty cool. Um, so. Uh, hmm. Is the I think it might be interesting to hear a little bit more about your setting, and then I will ask some uh, about the kind of mechanics that your game uses. Does that sound like a fun line of inquiry? Oh yes, we can go into the diceless mechanics. <laughs> ah, excellent. So, um, you, let's start by talking a bit about the setting um, because I know that those are the those are the things that normally attract me to games. So, uh, let's start there. So we know that this is a this is a setting that is mostly in water. How do we arrive at that point? Is that a is that a this is just always the way this setting has been, or is this a water world situation? <laughs> uh, I've never actually seen that movie all the way through. Fun fact. Anyway, tangent. Um, no, it was more like a um, like there was a planet out there in the universe that didn't really have anything going for it, and these six deities were like. We're going to make this planet our own and it's going to be great. And so um, primarily most of the world is water and um, five out of the six gods are like, you know what? I'm going to make an island instead because that's what I'd rather do. So that's what they did. And each of those islands, including the ocean, uh, is uh, its own realm, quote unquote. So there's like the red realm, which is the work hard, but party harder realm. There's the orange realm, which is work hard and then work harder <laughs> realm. There's the um, yellow realm, which is like kind of like the we're taking care of all the little kitties who have annoying parents realm. There's the green realm, which is the pinky out we're better than everybody else realm. There's the blue realm, which is the ocean realm, which is the we're shiver, sh- chivalrous, chivalrous, and um, uh, stuff like that realm. And then there's the violet realm, which is like the spooky, scary, who I saw a ghost realm. And after they they done, they were done um, adding life and whatnot, they decided to live there as mortals until their mortal bodies um, died and they returned at to observe as deities but as soon as they left everyone started misbehaving because mom and dad were gone so um and then there was this um, contagion that happened due to um unfortunate circumstances that kind of takes the emotion of somebody that is they rather not show in public and kind of like amplifies it so if they're really envious they're like envious times a thousand now and so that's going on in the background. So um, that's the setting, and people can just do what what they will with it. Interesting. So, are the are these are the gods in uh, in harmony with one another, or are they in conflict? And are they still active within the setting, or is, is it more of a 
the gods were here and now they are dormant situation? Um, they're not quarreling with each other. This isn't like Greek or Roman go- gods where they're constantly like having a one-up contest or messing with immortals for absolutely no reason. <laughs> they're more like, hey, I like what you did there. It's cool. So it's, they don't really have a court. They just, you know, get, get along just fine where they mm-hmm. are. And um, how much they interact with the world depends on the players and the master of the game. So you could have them show up kind of like... Um, like Greek mythological style where they show up in all their glory and like, Hey, I saw you do that. That was cool. Thumbs up. Or you can have them be like a subtle um, interaction. Like, Oh, you feel the presence of so-and-so when you do that bad thing and you feel ashamed now, or it could be like, uh, like um, some uh, deity going incognito, like I'm a fox, but actually I'm the god of so and so, or I'm a mortal and I'm testing you, kind of thing. <laughs> so cool. Um, so I guess I'm trying to think of other things that I want to know about the setting. Um, so how much do the different realms interact with one another? Um, again, that depends on play, but, um, well, the way, the way they in- interact with the, each other that, that best describes it is that each character in the game starts off loyal to one realm mm-hmm. and, um, each realm has like a code of ethics. So for instance, um, uh, the, um, orange realm, which is kind of like the work hard and then work harder realm, they're, um, things that make them happy is like you know, walking off an injury. It's like, it's okay that I'm bleeding a bit. I'm going to keep, I'm going to finish this job and then go home for the day. And, but a way to displease them is, um, freeloading. So, um, that might clash with another person's, um, code of ethics from another realm, or if they chose to have kind of like a political drama rather than a slice of life, regular person drama. Like, I remember there was a time where um, someone from the Violet Realm, uh, someone was loyal to the Violet Realm, and they were, like, making sure everyone in their party wasn't acting like a total jerk because they're the kind of the realm where it's kind of like, keep to yourself and don't, like, cause a fuss. So they're like, you know, maybe you shouldn't be so mean because that person didn't do anything to you kind of thing. Right. Okay. Interesting. That's an interesting dynamic to explore. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, for a group, have your group, I guess, group HR person, in a way. <laughs> um, cool. Well, I think we might move into a little bit of a discussion about your mechanics now. Um, seeing as you mentioned that um, each player picks, uh, in a way, a code of ethics to adhere to. Um, so, why don't we talk a little bit about how you... How you begin play. So let's assume that we're we've decided we've got a we've decided that this is a game we want to play. With uh, where do we go from there? Hello, still there? Sorry, my 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 tablet for some reason went into sleep mode, even though we're clearly talking to each other. Oh, no. Could you repeat the question, please? I'm sorry. Yes, I can definitely repeat the question. Uh, so um, if if we were if we were setting up for this game, uh, I'm interested in seeing how like character. Not necessarily creation, but like what the steps to beginning play are. So we sit down at our table. We've got our group of players. Um, where do we go from there after getting out our wonderful copy of Prism that we managed to acquire <laughs> from Kickstarter? 
so uh, character gen and story gen um, in the game is called the Tea Party. So um, what you first do in the game is um, set expectations, like what does everybody want to do? Like, oh, I want to fall in love, or oh, I want to uh, find a cure for the contagion, or I want to go on a quest that my uh, deity, my patron deity, has set me set upon me. And you also um, discuss comfort levels with intimacy because um, since it is a game about relationships, things can get pretty heavy. Mm-hmm. So you want to establish what everyone is comfortable uh, be, um, seeing role played, uh, content, et cetera, et cetera. And then um, after that, uh, you begin character gen. And that is a step-by-step process where first you pick a loyalty, then you pick a template, which is kind of like gives your, your character a bit of flavor. Then you pick a family, um, which is like what species you are. So like, are you a plant? Are you a shark? Are you a chameleon? And then... Um, oh, cool. And then uh, there is the vocation, which is the fancy word for profession. So what's your job? So are you a medic? Are you a picker rune? Are you a diplomat? I'm sorry. Then, am I a what? Um, a pickaroon? What's a pickaroon? Um, I have to help. Um, not help. Uh, thank a friend for finding that word for me because it was really hard to find a word for rogue that wasn't rogue. <laughs> so pickaroon is kind of like if you go, if you dive deep down into the depths of a thesaurus, that's what you find for for uh, um, a synonym for rogue. Wow, I had never heard that before. I thought you'd made up some new fantasy job and you'd just disperse that into that list to try and trick me. <laughs> no, there's like, actually oh, yeah, a, a local can, a local can... Maryland rum, white rum named Pickaroon, so it is an actual word. <laughs> wow. Goodness gracious, that's amazing. So you pick your 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 vocation and uh, and where do we go from there? Uh, you uh, pick at least one relationship with either someone at the table or with an NPC. And after that, you uh, decide on what skills you'd like to be good and not so good at. And uh, by then you have a full-fledged character. I mean, there's a, there's a bit more explanation about some of the mechanics um, afterwards, like uh, being threatened or pre- preoccupied, et cetera, et cetera. But after that, you can start the game. Okay, that's kind of cool. It sounds like um, there's a few interesting little twists in there. The, the picking your f- family stuff sounds pretty cool, and um, uh, the the relationship thing intrigues me um, uh, mostly. Like, I mean, obviously, it's a core part of your game. Like, this is a game about exploring um, relationships and like community conflicts and things like that. Um, but it's interesting uh, to me because, like, we've we're it, a lot of the times in in more traditional or, or in older rather role playing games rather than traditional, um, we see that the relationships between characters and such is not reinforced by any kind of mechanical dynamic. And I'm very much like the trend of that we're seeing more and more now. Of um, ex- if you want to if you want to explore something in a game, there should be mechanics related to that. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, you can't say, oh, yeah, the, my, our game can do detailed relationship stuff. It's like, okay, where are your relationship mechanics? <laughs> so I think it's very cool that you've decided to focus on that. And I also really like that you have that discussion within your setup of um, the levels of intimacy um, that you are 
comfortable expressing um, uh, around your table. I think that's very important to have those kinds of features built into your game. Um, so, yeah, cool. Um, I would be interested in talking a little bit about um, if there's anything else uh, around the intimacy um, discussion. Like, are there any other tools you've included within the game there or, or any guiding principles that you've put into the into that step when you describe it in your in your book um, for uh, how to how to how to get the most out of that discussion. Well, um, I did um, put in uh, mention of the um, X card that you can um, always use if you need to uh, subtly back out of a situation that's making you uncomfortable. But um, I also included um, some content on um, verbal confirmation, like more like. Uh, um, enthusiastic consent mm -hmm. so uh you can be you can sit like say up front like oh i totally want to have a scene where me and someone else just make out all over the floor <laughs> and um you can get to that scene and then realize like you know this isn't as 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 this not make me as comfortable as i thought it would to be like back out of this please mm -hmm. Uh, because I know that from experience that I can be like, oh, I'm so Jones and first with like really intimate one-on-one -on -one stuff. And then I was like, oh, this kind of hurts me on the inside. I think I, that there's like potential bleed happening. I should, I should stop before it becomes a gushing, like figurative instead of literal flesh. Mm -hmm. so. No, I definitely understand that. It's cool that you've had those. It's very cool that you've uh, included that sort of discussion. Um, Cool. Uh, I think I would like to know about um, what kind of tools do you have for the facilitator of the game for introducing um, conflict? How much of the conflict is generated by the players and how much of it is generated by your facilitator? Um, that depends on the situation, but I mean, uh, mostly uh, the stuff i give for the uh, master of the game is like just ideas like what would you like the characters to do and what to do if things become stagnant and how to handle um notable npcs and how to deal with the punishment and if, um, how much they want to use the deities like here's an example if you want to use them like they were a a constant presence and here's an example of how to use them if they're not, a, not really a presence at all but um a lot of it i think uh, also is fueled by the relationships in the game because I'll have characters when I'm running, when I'm running the game for other people who will just go off in their, their relationship thing and just start arguing or whatnot. <laughs> this is why I love the relationship mechanic. Cause I feel like it's a good way to fuel um, situations that people aren't really sure what to do or are um, not sure how to solve the problem. So they'll just bounce off each other and whatever kind of relationship they have in the game. Right. Yeah, that's cool. Um, the yeah, it reminds me a little bit of um, my experiences with Monster Hearts um, a little bit, um, which is another cool game about <laughs> interpersonal conflict. Although I imagine with a pretty substantial tone difference <laughs> <laughs> to your lovely game. Um, all right. Well, I think it might be nice to talk a bit more about the generalize more generalized mechanics uh, of the game now and how uh, you mentioned that players pick 
skills or, or, or something similar to skills. I can't remember the exact word you used. Um, and you also briefly mentioned earlier that you have a diceless, um, I think you said, uh, system. So what is the general way of resolving um, conflict and things? So a player, let, let's assume the player says, oh, I'm, I'm going to try and steal a flower for my lover. <laughs> um, how would they go about executing that within the narrative? Okay. Um, so you have a set of six skills. And uh, there are uh, six um, uh, spots for experience you can put in. So if you're like uh, at a one, you're uh, at average. And if you're six, you're like the best at that thing in the world. And um, there are no dice to roll. It's basically kind of like a tier system. So it's either a simple task, a typical task, a hard task, or a tough task. So um so we'll take your character and saying they want to steal a flower from uh, for their love, their significant other. And I, as the game master, can say, okay, well, the um, florist seems pretty distracted with the customer. So um, I'll say this is typical, which would be an ex um, expertise of three. And the skill you would use probably to sneakily steal a flower would be um, dexterity. And let's say... Uh, the character has a three. So that means they have enough experience to uh, steal a flower with no problems, but no bonuses either. Um, but let's say they only have a two, which means they can't do it. So what they can do, they, there's two things they can do from there. They're, they can either um, make an argument that takes two skills to perform the task, or what they can do is um, agree to succeed at a cost. So, um, we can say um, you chose to succeed as a, succeed as a cost. So I was like, okay, you, you can steal a flower. And the owner of the florist shop doesn't notice you, but a customer does. And we don't, we won't know how the customer is going to react until after you're, you're done, but we'll, we'll take it from there. So that is an example of how you would use the diceless system in the game. Okay. That's kind of cool. How is you've sort of got this matching um, of power and things like that. Um, I feel like that would make play pretty quick. Um, has that been your experience in testing? Well, um, some, well, sometimes they want to get creative and, and use uh, combinations of skills. And of course, um, since this is a relationship game, um, so some of your skills uh, are bouncing off of them. So um, for example, if you are in a neutral relationship with somebody else, you can uh, lend your hand using a skill of your choice to help them. And that would boost their um, uh, experience total. So that adds more narrative to the game because now you have two people trying to do a thing instead of one. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, what kind of, um, I don't know how often it comes up, but what happens when two players get into some kind of conflict with one another? Like, in character or out of character? Uh, in character, I would say. <laughs> yeah, out of character, I think the... the, the <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't know how to answer I that think, question. I think out of character, <laughs> everyone needs to take a moment and have a discussion about why they're in conflict. No, in character is what I mean. Yes. Um, well, um, I guess it would depend if that it's intentional or if it's actually two players with two characters that aren't getting on with each other. Because I've had, I've had experiences in both. Mm -hmm. um, if it was meant to be, I guess 
it's as long as no one um, starts to get uncomfortable about it. I remember a friend mentioning how uh, they were in a LARP and they had like screaming at somebody else and they ran away crying and they're like, well, hopefully they're okay. But then they're like, well, am I okay? After screaming at someone for so-and-so amount of amount of minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, But if it's unintentional, um, I actually, Oh gosh, that's a loaded question. Um, (laughs) I draw like a blank. Look, no, 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 that's fine. I, I, I did mean, I did specifically mean, like, if two characters got into, like, a fight or something, or, like, you know, someone was, some character was trying to take something, some player character was trying to take something from another player character or something like that, um, was the kind of conflict I was interested in. Well, let me, let me, re, let me re, re-answer the question then. Well, I, I guess yeah. it would depend on the relationship in the game and whether they're playing with that or not, because there are negative relationships in the game, because... Originally, it was all happy relationships like friends and, you know, uh, people who are happily married. But then people were like, I want negative relationships, too. I want that option. So I'm like, okay, I'll give you that option. So they might just be in a a relationship where they hate each other's guts and are Mm -hmm. constantly arguing. But if it was um, two player characters not in a relationship and they happen to be arguing, they could easily make that into a relationship, which you can do in gaming so you can form a new one. It's like, you know what? They stole my marshmallow and now I hate them. And I'm going to put that, I'm going to like to check that I hate this person. And now I get a bonus because I hate this person. That's pretty cool. So it seems like it's pretty easy to form new relationships. Mechanically, pretty easy to form new relationships. Mm-hmm. Is there a finite limit on how many relationships you can have? Or is it just you can have as many relationships as there are characters to have relationships with? Um, I usually set it to three because um, the maximum amount of players, just to keep the uh, the spotlight um, shining even is four, so that would e- that would give you the opportunity to either be in a relationship with everyone else at the table, or if you don't want to be, it'll give you one, the one default, and then two that you can establish then or later on in game. And it can also always drop a relationship where, like, if you like have an unrequited cr- crush on someone and they have like not given you the time of day for um, days now in session, you're like, you know what? They're not worth my time. I'm gonna. There's other fish in the sea. I'm gonna throw this one back, <laughs> and then drop that relationship completely. Yeah. And of course, relationships can always shift. Like at the end of each session, um, session, if it's not a one shot, how you feel about the person can move uh, more towards the I like them spectrum. Uh, well, I'm happy with the relationship spectrum, or more towards the this relationship is not making me as happy as it used to side of, of the spectrum. Yeah, and are those the main ways that relationships will evolve? Um, Uh, Yeah, for the most part. And there have been instances, actually, where um, uh, characters have done a total swap, where they were originally negative, and they're east, and then they were positive, and vice versa. And depending on how you feel is um, the kind of bonus slash penalty you'll get. So, um, for instance, if you are in a positive relationship with somebody else and they're in a positive relationship with you, um, you can both help each other if either one of you is in danger. Uh, but if you uh, um, dislike the other person 
or, or, or not, not dislike, uh, if you're unhappy with relationship and they're uh, in a different part of the spectrum than you are, you get a different kind of bonus. So where you both are on the, the spectrum of the, of the relationship sheet will depend on what kind of relationship you have and what kind of bonuses you get. Um, cool. You mentioned the relationship sheet. How complicated is that sheet and what exactly does it look like? Can you describe it for us? Uh, sure. Um, there are, there's um, a row of uh, arrows leading to a broken heart on the left and a whole heart on the right. And then there's a middle, which is um, neutral, which is basically like, um, uh, you know, kind of like a coworker, like I, uh, we can go to happy hour together, but I wouldn't necessarily invite you to game night kind of uh, feeling towards the person. Um, which is why you get the bonus of get, um, getting like getting the job done, which is assisting them with the skill because you both want to just go home for the day. And um, the arrows can either lead towards the right or towards the left. And um, when you start the game, you either start in the middle, the the absolute left or the absolute right. And after each session, if it's not a one shot, you either keep stay where you are, move more towards one towards the left or more towards the right. And below that is just um, some character notes like, you know, what kind of relationship you're in with that person and what the, is the current bonus you have. Because your, your bonus can change depending on if you if you um, leave the side of the spectrum you're on. Or it can stay the same the entire game. Who knows? It, it depends on ha- um, how you, the player, feels and how the characters feel at the time. So, Yeah. Um, how, how does way of phrasing that actually um what is the life cycle of play which is to say how long do you expect um people to play with the same group of characters for well i usually ran either one shots or sessions that were like um uh, like one or two in real life games in, in length mm-hmm. uh I've had people run it where they, I think it was at least four or five sessions. So I don't imagine it, it being a, a extremely long campaign, but it could definitely last, a, you know, a handful of sessions and it, it can easily, easily be run as a one shot. And um, another nice feature about the game is that um, you can actually play the game one-on-one with the game master where the person you're in relationship with can just be an NPC. Oh, okay. That's interesting that it supports um, it supports uh, two person play, which is very cool. I really like games where it's like where you can uh, scale down and up um, your size uh, of your players really well. Um, that's pretty cool. Um, two two person RPGs is a thing that we're getting more and more into here at Insert Quest here. Um, <laughs> I've even written a two person LARP so. Uh, I'm very into uh, two-person RPGs at the moment. Uh, cool. Um, yeah. Okay. So, I'm trying to think, what are some other things about Prism that I want to know? Okay. All right. I've got. I've got a great one. I would really love to know how extensive your different interesting aquatic species are. <laughs> You mentioned that you can be like a plant person or like a shark person, and there was mention of a cuttlefish person. Are those 
prescribed or uh, do you just sort of create it as you go at the table? Um, well, there are six families in the game, and I'll just describe all uh, six of them so you can get a better idea. Um, so, so there's three that are more land-based, and there are three that are more um, underwater-based. But um, I made a note that everyone is amphibious, so they can flip-flop as much as they want, and they don't have to worry about breathing or drowning or anything, because that would make things too complicated. And I want everyone to be like, I'd love to stay and chat in this underwater tea parlor, but I'm running out of air. I'm going to go up to the surface now. Okay. So um, of the three land species, there's the chameleon, which does not look like, like a chameleon in real life. There's no segmented eyes or anything. Um, it's a kind of pearly white um, um, family that mimics the element they touch. So um, if they touch fire, their um, skin kind of gets embery and whatnot, for example. And they're kind of like the cantrip spell um, character in the game. And they kind of, and they like to show off and be flashy, of course, because you know cantrips are mostly uh, glamour spells a lot of the time. Um, then there's the plant folk, which uh, have which is like a human, a, a green human that has like the attributes of like a plant or a tree or a flower. So they might have like flowers in their hair or bark on their skin or whatnot. And they're kind of the um, but they're basically the we're better than everybody else <laughs> family in the game. Oh no. Uh, well, I mean, it's, it's, I don't, I don't want to say Slytherin either. It's, 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 they're not like bad people. It's, it's more like the tight social circle kind of people where it's like, they don't really tend to care about strangers, just the, their immediate friends and family. And that's it. And then there's the weed folk, which is the, um, the strong, robust, we got this guys, we can do this physical thing all the time we're and um and so uh they're kind of they have kind of have like a freck like freckly skin and they're they're one of my my favorite classes actually um because i was like what's cool about a weed they don't die they're super robust so they can handle anything and it's awesome um even though weeds in real life are kind of annoying but in, in the game, they're not. Uh, and then for the sea-based characters, there's the um, barbed fish, which is kind of like a combination. It, it, um, and you get to choose which barbed fish you want to be, uh, where you have the attributes of your um, uh, chosen fish as, as a human. So um, if I was a cuttlefish, I might have that like kind of like skirt wavy thing they have like down my, the side of my legs. Or I, I have skin that changes texture, like, like camouflage skin. Um, mm. And you can either, and your special thing is that you can change into a, it, it, it's an oar, so it's not all of them. It's a jellyfish, a cephalopod, a lionfish, or a seahorse. And it's a little cute, tiny one. So I'm like, oh, I get to be a little tiny, cute seahorse. I love that. I want to do that every day of my life. That's and. Then there's the sea mammal, um, which um, has the uh, who's a humanoid with the the um, that can either turn into a mer person of a whale or a dolphin or a seal. So you can be like, I'm a leopard shark person. So like when I'm not a mer person, I have like gray spotted skin and really big teeth. And if you Google me, uh, all you see is pictures of me biting it penguin's head off because that's all you get when you google leopard seals on google 
I've seen a leopard seal before, actually. Um, sadly, not in the wild, but they had. They used to have one at the Taronga Zoo in Sydney. Uh, they're my favorite seal. They're so freaking awesome. And uh, then there's the toothfish, which is like the sea mammal, but instead they turn into a half eel or half shark. Ah, no crab. No crab. No crab. Uh, cool. Those all sound pretty uh, fun to play. Um, I'm I'm picturing now what different people I know would pick, uh, which is uh, which is a fun exercise. Um, so, um, how? I- what exactly do you have outlined for your uh, Kickstarter project? So, do uh, will you be doing stretch goals for your Kickstarter? Uh, no, I wanted to keep this simple because really it was just to be like, my game's done. I know a lot of you know about it already or you have friends that might like it. So here's an opportunity for you to order a book because this is probably going to be my only print run that I have planned at the moment. So, um, and there'll be a PDF available um, after the Kickstarter on Drive-Thru RPG if people um, weren't able to snag the book or didn't want a book because, I mean, I personally prefer PDFs, but that's that's just me. But for people yeah. who like physical copies of things, I wanted to offer something to them. But um, th- this is just an opportunity for people, people to get the game who've been, who've been interested in it um, since it's its debut into the indie community and for people who were like, what mer people in relationships? You had me at mer people in relationships. I went in on this. So that's very cool that you've de- you decided not to do um, stretch goals because I've I've seen a lot of um, I've seen a lot of uh, RPG Kickstarters basically almost tear themselves apart trying to fulfill stretch goals that they thought were not going to be uh, difficult. Um, I've I've increasingly come to the mind of if I do a Kickstarter, I'm not going to bother doing stretch goals because that just sounds like more work, and I'd rather <laughs> I'd rather it just get funded. Um, yeah, I just wanted this to be as simple as possible, so everyone can be like, "Here's your book, here's your PDF. Thank you for your support, and have a good day." Because mm-hmm. also with stretch goals, I'm always like, "Oh, that last stretch goal that didn't make it sounded really fun. Too bad I didn't really make it, so I'll just stare at that stretch goal that didn't make it." So I'm like, "You know what? I'm just gonna keep it simple. There's gonna be this many tiers, and that is it. And here's the goal. And thank you for helping me make the goal. And that is it." Yeah, no, I think that that is a very wise uh, business decision, and uh, I think that was very, uh, yeah, I think that's very cool that you decided to do it that way. Um, so, uh, what, um, do you have any plans for the life of Prism after the Kickstarter is done? Um, do you have any plans for any kind of expansions to it or anything like that? Or is it just, um, here will be Prism and now I shall move on to other projects? Um, my plan is for it to be Prism. Like I, I mean, I, I've thought about if I want to do any expansions or you know second editions, but I mean, I'm really fine with it the way it is, and I don't want to pick at it forever because I just want to establish to myself that this is a finished product that I can be happy with the way it is. But I will be more excited. I do plan on running it more often now that I don't have to play test it, which is a lot more nerve wracking. Mm-hmm. 
So I could be like, hey, for all those people who wanted to play the game, now it's finished so I can run it for you and there won't be any complications or me backtracking because it's a finished thing because um, I've been really excited. There's some people I've been really excited to run it for. So uh, that's my plans is to bring it to cons to run or run it for friends and just be happy that I have a finished game that is finally finished. I really am digging your whole philosophy in terms of the the product aspect of this project, to be honest. I'm really liking your answers to my questions so far. I think these are very good answers. Good, because I was really scared they were all crappy answers. No, these are great answers. I think lots of people are worried uh, or, or lots of people, not so much worried, but lots of people feel like the need to um to add more and more and more and more and more to a thing um and i think it is it takes a lot of um confidence to say no this is my thing and now it is done and it doesn't need any more because it is finished and i think that's very cool that you've decided to walk that path um with that in mind do you have any eye to the future in terms of designing other things? Are there other projects that um, folks who love Prism should be on the lookout for in the future? Um, I don't have any gaming projects on the horizon because, um, as we joked about before, I am focusing on the Kickstarter because I'm really trying to get the book finished in time for Metatopia, but proofing is proofing is annoying it's, i think getting a proof for a book is more annoying than actually des- designing said book at this mm-hmm. point in time i think i hate proofing more than anything in this process tangent um so my plans is are to hopefully just be involved in the community more in an art aspect because writing for me i mean i, I mean i consider myself a decent writer like i've you know i um re- i wrote <clears throat> this game uh i've you know written some non-fiction i've written some fan fiction it's all you know good and well but writing for me is a lot more stressful than drawing because whenever because i can easily make a uh, convey an idea with a um, piece of art that i can with writing a story because i find myself having a hard time picking the right words sometimes so mm-hmm. that and i'm embarrassed of my grammar <laughs> Uh, yeah i have trouble with spelling and such um which has always been a thing for me um and um what i have been trying to do a lot and more in the community is and you'll see my rants on google plus if you if you follow me there is just just talking about subjects in the community like um uh like uh relationships in game and um what to do when you feel upset in a game and uh, as a, as a player and um, consent and just any subject matter that I think that I know enough about to talk about on social media. Like I um, like in the, in the game, for example, I make it a, um, a known fact that cultural wise, it's not supposed to be like a wagging of the finger or slap on the wrist kind of thing where it's like in the game, uh, your gender doesn't matter and neither does your occupation. So like if you're a sex worker, that is a legitimate job. Nope. That's not supposed to be a form of conflict or, mm-hmm. and if you're like a woman interested in another woman, nobody cares because that's, it, it, that's just the way things are there. 
So it's not really a thing that's supposed to be mentioned because it's not really supposed to be a source of conflict. Yeah, those so, things. Those things. Uh, yeah, the, I think the mentioning that they're not meant to be sources of conflict is a very powerful um, design choice. Yeah, because there's a there's a friend of mine where um, she's constantly complaining because she she's more uh, in, in the in um, console gaming like she plays like Dragon Age and such. And mm-hmm. she'll complain about how men complain about women complaining about men complaining about, and it becomes a cycle of no one being happy. And we have this thing that we both agree upon. Like, would it be great if like there was a Dragon Age game and there was a, a, and you can play a guy and fall in love with a guy and you don't have to mention it. Like, it's just a thing that happens. Like, it's just normal. That would be great. Like, you don't have to make it doesn't have no one complains about it, but no one has to say, oh, it's so inclusive. Look at how inclusive it is. You could be a guy in love with a guy. Isn't that inclusive? I'm going to say inclusive one more time. <laughs> For good measure, I would yeah, really the, love the it. Idea <laughs> that, the idea that you just, you you want it to be mundane. You yeah. don't want your, you don't want your love to feel fantastical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, excellent. Uh, I think that, um, that this has been a really chill, good interview. Have you enjoyed yourself? Yeah. Cool. Where can people find out more about Prism and more about uh, you? Um, well, they can check out my website, littlewishproductions.com, where you can see the webcomic that happened before the game um, and a link to the Kickstarter. They can find me on Google+, Plus, where I ramble about gaming and whatnot, and they can find me at uh, Double exp- uh, Exposure Conventions. Excellent. Fantastic. Uh, and we will have links to all of that stuff down below. Uh, in the show notes uh, on our WordPress site. Um, thank you so much for coming on. We're really looking forward to um, Prism, actually. It sounds like a fantastic little game. Yay! <laughs> uh, and if you want to uh, hear, uh, you, the listener, uh, want to hear more about our uh, other games that are coming out at the moment, uh, why don't you check out our other interviews that we've done? Um We've been doing these for a couple of years now, and we've got a few interesting games uh, talked about. Uh, some of them have actually come out of Kickstarter now. I mean, Red Markets is in print, and that was the first interview we did. Um, we also have a new series sort of related to this coming around now, which is called um, Insert Quest Here Presents, where we have some discussions about... Um, various gaming-related topics. Um, At the moment, we're doing some stuff related to LARP. The first one of that just went up, and there should be a new one uh, in the coming weeks where we will actually be talking about intimacy uh, and how to express it and play with it in both tabletop role-playing games and LARPs. Uh, So that might be of interest to those of you that... Indeed, I thought you might like that. Um, and if you have any uh, further questions about uh, Prism or, or, uh, or, or you want to say anything about, um, about anything we've discussed today, please leave us a comment. Uh, we always love hearing from, um, from our listeners and even our new listeners. So feel free to say anything that you need to down below. Uh, and we just want to thank you all for listening. And I want to thank you, uh, Whitney, for being on uh, the show today uh, and talking to us. Um, and spending some of your morning with us. Um, so, yeah, thank you for that. Thank you for having me. It was fun. Yeah, I'm glad that you liked it. 
Um, but uh, yeah, uh, so thank you all for listening and thank you for being with us. And I think uh, for now, uh, we will say farewell from the past. I'm Ray.